are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM, and it's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio with Brennan and Tony and Kathy and Jody and Dave, and we will hear from uh, Craig and Hank a little later. Um, it's a real mixed bag today. Tony and Kathy are going to talk about the Kenner Morgue. I don't know what that is. I'm really curious. It sounds really, really spooky. Brennan's going to talk about some cool comics. And then Dave and I are going to talk about a song. Prison Colon Insane Chusol. It's from 1972 and it blows my mind. And like, I can't believe that I only just discovered it. So we'll get to that, uh, but we're going to make you wait for it. So first off, because I, I can't wait, Tony and Kathy, what the heck? is the Kenner Morgue. Okay, so Kenner had their head offices in Cincinnati for 50 years. Uh, and during that time, they had two buildings. They had two warehouses. Uh, in those warehouses, one of them was called the Kenner Museum. The Kenner Museum is where they kept two or three boxes of each product, uh, mostly just, they called it a museum, but it was mostly, it looked more like the Raiders of the Lost Ark um, ending there where they just had boxes of things. And that's the kind of stuff where people would go and they would take out uh, things they wanted to borrow and they had to go back in and so forth. So it was very... Not, not just people, like the designers, when they wanted to make new toys, yes. they could look back at the old toys. But, yes. Yeah. So the museum was that. Then the other side of the lot, they called it the Kenner Morgue. The Kenner Morgue was where they kept all the prototypes all the box art, anything that was actually based on what they would use to make the product was kept in the Kenner morgue. So it wasn't really a morgue, really. I don't know why they called it that. I guess because it was... Where products go to die. Products go to <laughs> die. But the museum would be that way too. So either way. So we have the Kenner Museum and the Kenner morgue. So back in 2000, uh, a big thing happened. Kenner closed its doors in the Cincinnati office. So there was two warehouses they had to clean out. And to clean these things out, they had to basically, they cataloged everything that was in both of the warehouses. Now, I think everything from the museum was kept. It was actually just shipped over to the new uh, Hasbro offices in whatever city that is. I don't really know. But yeah, so, but the Kenner Morgue stuff was all pretty much thrown out. So in the year 2000, the people at Kenner were being laid off uh, and fired. So the people that they kept, their job was to go through boxes and boxes of things and they had to do a quick, uh, as quick as they could anyway, they had to do some kind of uh, decision as to what they were gonna keep and what they weren't gonna keep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so lots of it did get tossed. Anything that they thought that they weren't ever gonna reuse again, they tossed their prototypes, they tossed the package art, they, it all went out. All went out. Well, got tossed. I'm guessing some of it didn't actually get tossed. And that's what, I want to get to in a minute, okay. but yes, because that's, <laughs> and that's the thing that actually, when I started looking into this, I was watching some eBay or eBay, I'm sorry, I was watching some YouTube channels and people were talking about this and I'd never heard of this before. I didn't know this was happening. Um, the Star Wars stuff was not destroyed. It was actually kept and sent to Hasbro, but there was a lot of really cool stuff that was destroyed. The thing, like you were saying, is a lot of the stuff that was actually thrown out was pretty cool stuff that today would be worth in the secondary market would be worth a lot of money. Uh, there's actually people, there's actually videos of people um, who worked tearing down the buildings, who actually would, were finding things uh, in the actual warehouses that once everything was like cleaned out of them before they tore them down, uh, people were you know, taking things out like the air conditioning units and pipes and whatever they were taking out. And they were finding things in walls that some of the Kenner staff had been throwing in there 
for years and years and years. That's so that was, that was exciting. Uh, a lot of the stuff that they were throwing out, like you said, were all the 2D flat, any kind of package samples, anything that was flat was thrown out. Anything that was a 3D model or samples or prototypes were kept. But they did keep some cool stuff. They kept all the Batman stuff. I, I got a little bit of a list here that the, of things that they actually kept. So they kept Batman, uh, they kept Ghostbusters, they kept your G.I. Joe, your mask. They kept SSP, which surprised me because I don't think I've seen anything SSP since like 1974. <laughs> yeah, that, that might have been an error. Yeah. They kept the SSP stuff. Oh, they kept all the Star Wars, the Vortech. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Tonka, Aliens, and Nerf. So anything that was a 3D um, prototype and things like that, they actually would keep. Destroyed. This is this. There's some stuff here that are going to make people cry because all the Centurion stuff was destroyed. Uh, Centurions now is kind of really hot on the market for uh, stuff that came out. Uh, the older Centurion stuff. So that would have been kind of neat. So you're looking at all the prototypes, all the box art, anything that was Centurions is gone. Out, gone forever. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Who knew? Bill and Ted's. They didn't know there was going to be And movie, now there's right? a new movie. And people <laughs> yeah. are gonna be, yeah. You're going to find this hard to believe, uh, Brennan, but Chuck Norris. All the Chuck Norris thrown out. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Chuck Norris. Um, my, heart and, just, my heart just broke a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Chuck Norris. Robocop. They're, they throw out all, they the, Robocop. all the Robocop. There's yeah. no Robocop stuff. <laughs> so I don't know why they were like throwing out some of these things. Police Academy. Kathy, Police Academy is one of my favorite shows in the 80s. <laughs> Do you really want Police Academy toys though? Like, they were cool. Like, Police Academy toys were really good. Were they? They, yeah, they had that them. guy that uh, did all the voices and stuff like that. All oh, the, yeah. Yeah, all the sounds. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Here's one, Beetlejuice. All the Beetlejuice stuff was trashed. That was all the 3D models, all the prototypes, all that stuff. Now, you were saying this earlier about what happened to these things. Now, and this is where it gets interesting because the people that were actually throwing things out, they were only a few people. It was the end of their jobs. Uh, they were told to crush things. They were told to shred and to crush any of the prototypes. So anything that yeah. was actually, they were told to shred and crush. Now I've seen things show up in places, uh, even like Pawn Stars and places like that. People oh, yeah. will come up and they'll actually show like, oh, this was actually taken out of the, the Kenner morgue. Uh, so people were actually taking some of these things. So if you ever see things, uh, you know, and you're wondering like, wow, where did this come from? How did they come? Well, I think people were like, uh, were, were walking away with things. Not actually throwing them out, yeah. No, definitely not, definitely not. You know, but they kept some, some interesting things, but at the same time, we lost a lot of cool stuff, which kind of sucks. Now, because of that, I want to like think about things that are actually happening today as far as like all the things that are being made. So if you have something that you're buying somewhere out there, there was a prototype, there was a, someone that was making it, someone who did the box art, mm -hmm. someone who actually put this together as art. I, I love the idea of toys being art. I love the idea of buying something and keeping in the packages and it's art. And we've talked about this a million times before and people say, yeah. oh, it's a toy to be played with. I don't look at it that way because if you think about all the work that goes into these things, all the people who designers and all the people who are producing these things, it's not just, you know, throw it in a package uh, like a table, like the table here, you're not going to keep a table because the table really is just thrown together. It's made of wood and, uh, and I think dogs make tables. 
monkeys. Monkeys make tables. Monkeys make tables. And there you go. So the Kenner Museum is something that, that happened uh, and it is long gone. And every time you buy something, you should keep it in the package because uh, throwing it away will, you'll just, or uh, throwing that package away will just be sad later. Sad. <laughs> keep the art. Should, keep the art. It's all art. <laughs> it's anyway. all art. I agree. You are right. You, uh, you should buy two. Keep one in the package. <laughs> that's, that's the cardinal rule. All right. Well, we're going to throw things over to uh, Hank and Craig and get their take on this week's pop culture picks. So uh, take it away, fellas. Hey, it's Craig Silliphant and Hank Cruz uh, hanging out. And uh, we want to talk about some things we watched this week because it's Punch Radio on CFCR. So uh, I got a few things I want to talk about quickly, but uh, why don't you start, Hank? What do you got? What have you been watching? Or okay, I, I briefly mentioned it uh, before, but I finished uh, season one of Industry on HBO. Uh, it's on Crave TV, also in Canada, uh, BBC over in the old uh, England. So an American woman suffers from culture shock as she starts an internship at a hustling and bustling money-shouting British financial firm where she is both mentored and mistreated by her boss. Now, it took me about, I would say, two or three episodes to really get it and what the show was about, but the series more from a bowl of soapy, been there, done that, superficial soup to a tense, stressful, serious workplace salad filled with sexual harassment, the promotion of toxic workplace culture, and the blind eyes that oversee it. I dished out a 79 out of 100, but if you are into a steamy, frustrating workplace drama filled with fluorescent lights and British accents and a whole lot of drugs, now this show is for you is for you. I haven't heard. I checked. Uh, they have not announced if they're going to make a season two, uh, but they better because there's a few things they got to wrap up. But uh, definitely not for uh, the younger audiences, this one. This one's, uh, yeah, definitely for the adults. So check that one out. And then for the younger audiences, the kids and I got together. We watched Godmothered on Disney Plus, right. where my daughter said that the movie is about a magical girl who wants to be a fairy godmother. So she found an assignment to help someone save her world. And a movie that made my daughter laugh and feel good because like in Frozen, true love and happily ever after does not mean a prince charming and a castle. My daughter gave it nine out of 10. Then my son said uh, there was a raccoon named Gary and a fairy went on a sled and hit a guy with a thousand LOLs after that. He gave it a nine out of 10. I gave it a 74 out of 100 because a young and unskilled fairy godmother ventures out uh, on her own to prove her worth. It stars Julian Bell and uh, Iowa Fisher, and it was cute, quirky, fun for the whole family. It, it, it was solid. It was a 74 out of 100. So that one, Disney Plus, check that out. And a Big Mouth season four hit Netflix. I won't go into it, but uh, now this season, there's anxiety mosquitoes to go along with the Hormone Monsters and the Shame Wizard. So if you're a fan of Big Mouth, uh, one of the best seasons yet, check it out. Now, Craig, what have you been uh, watching? What's up? Well, I got a few things, but I will. Uh, I haven't watched Big Mouth. I just want to comment on Big Mouth season four quickly. I haven't watched it yet. I've been waiting for the right time to tear through it. And yeah, man, that one's funny. It's, it's, it's dirty, but it's like, and it, it took me a little while to even get on its wavelength when I first started it. But I love everybody that's in that, like Jason Mantzoukas and uh, Maya Rudolph and like the whole cast is just great. So... Uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of guest actors in this one uh, this season too. Like Paul Giamatti's on it, and uh, right. it's it's pretty funny. It's pretty right. funny. Yeah, I can't wait to 
check it out. I was supposed to actually drop earlier and they held it back for some reason. So glad to see that it's out now. I have a couple of quick things. Now, I know we talked about HBO's The Vow a little while ago, which is the story of the Nexium. A sex cult run by Keith Ranieri, who, if uh, what I was reading last night is correct, he got 120 years in jail for a number of uh, things like sex trafficking and obstruction of justice and stuff. And so this documentary from HBO was several episodes long. It was a series. It started out really strong and really showed you the sort of like the human, the human cost of, you know, uh, cults and, and what this stuff was doing. And it wasn't the first time I'd heard about this story because I'd actually listened to, I think it was a CBC podcast with one of the women and, and talking about like how she had gotten out of this cult or whatever. But uh, they were releasing it week to week. So I didn't watch it all at once. And I finally watched the last two episodes in the last week or so because the, the series is done now. And I got to say, man, this was a rare uh, stumble of an ending for HBO. Like it, uh, the last two episodes really just retread a lot of stuff they already looked at in the first five or six episodes. Uh, six or seven episodes maybe I, like I can't remember how many it was but and then in the final episode I was like okay now we're gonna see like the whole thing come crashing down on uh, Keith Ranieri and some of his cohorts but that does sort of happen but it's in the you know I mean a little bit of a spoiler here but it's in the last like 10 minutes basically so you watch another 50 minutes of just again the same stuff you've been seeing so you know I said to my wife when it was done like this this was a great documentary if they just cut off the last two episodes took the last 10 minutes and sewed it on to the like third last episode or whatever and it would have been strong but uh, yeah it was weak another one along uh, the documentary lines that i watched uh, is on netflix and it's called american murder the family next door uh and i'd actually halfway through realized i knew this story because there's a true crime podcast i listened to called sword and scale and i realized like oh i know where this is going i've heard this story before but that's not obviously the fault of the documentary but it's the story of the watts family murders that happened in uh, 2018 in colorado it uses is archival footage, including social media posts, uh, law enforcement uh, recordings, text messages, home video footage, uh, to sort of show what happened. And basically, like, a woman and her two children went missing, and there was a husband left behind going like, hey, what happened? Uh, and so you, you know, without giving anything away, it sort of shows what what happened really but what bothered me about this one is it's always neat when they do have that sort of archival footage and stuff and you really do get to see the inside and that's what's great about sword and scale too they get lots of 911 calls and things so it's not just a guy narrating it's like you're actually seeing things kind of unfold a little bit but like in the end they there were certain things they did not focus on they didn't really focus that much on the husband and what a lot of his motivations were they focused more on the victim which is fine, but the whole question of like why what happened to them happened to them isn't really answered because they don't delve into like any of the other players really, which was which was sort of bad. And then the other detail was like they keep talking about this company that she works for called Thrive, which I'm aware of, and it's a multi-level marketing scam. So they don't really go into the details of any of this stuff, which does it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the murder, but it does show why she was so obsessed with like posting herself on social media all the time and like why they have access to all this footage. So it was interesting enough to watch, but ultimately it it sort of rang hollow, I guess, in the end for me. So, you know, if you like true crime, it's definitely worth checking out if you're like, hey, I'll take anything I can get. But, uh, you know, it comes with that caveat. Did they uh, solve the uh, what happened or it's still at the end? It's still up in the air. Like who done it? Like, do you know what happened? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay. It's it solved in the end for sure. So it was the pyramid scheme that killed her. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, the other thing I checked out this week was a one-off episode. I guess they're kind of calling it a Christmas episode of the HBO series Euphoria. 
Have you seen the show? Love it. One of my favorite shows. Yeah, so it's, uh, oddly enough, it's produced by, like, Drake and, and some other people, but it stars, uh, like, Zendaya, Maud Apatow, a bunch of other people like that. But Zendaya's uh, sort of the lead as the character Rue, and she is a teenage drug addict that's struggling to find her place in the world. And there's lots of, like, neat uh, modern stuff on this show in the sense that there's, you know, transgender characters and stuff like that that you really, that are more than sort of caricatures that actually, like, are fleshed out well. So they did this one-off episode. I'm not sure if it was because of, like, coronavirus or something that they didn't you know that it that it isn't just like the start of season two or whatever and again without giving too much away once I started watching it I realized pretty quickly it's what they call a bottle episode and if anybody doesn't know what that is it's like when you just shoot in one location for an episode to save budget on the show so it takes place entirely almost in this diner and Rue is uh sitting there with her sponsor uh, Ali and they're just having a my dinner with Andre conversation for an hour basically uh where they're sort of talking about life and drugs and all that kind of stuff which some of it was really well done there were some great conversations and stuff but some of it was very on the nose and it's like if you're going to do an episode like that where it's a my dinner with andre just two people having a conversation for an hour that conversation's got to be scintillating enough to carry it through an hour and while there was definitely a lot of good stuff in there i found it kind of like head scratching in the end like why did they even bother doing this and there's so much other good stuff in that show that, that is just sort of thrown out the window for this one episode. So it's a neat little aside, but it definitely does not speak to the like entirety of the show itself. So I, I'm looking forward to season two whenever they plan on dropping that. But hmm. yeah. Well, maybe I'll wait to watch that until season two comes out so that I can have season two episode one right after that to make me feel better. That, that's probably a good idea, actually. Uh, so that's what Hank and I have been watching this week. And we're going to throw back to Jody and everybody. Talk to you next week. Well, we're back. Thanks, guys. Brennan, you want to talk comics, specifically Batman, Catwoman, and Unsacred. Why should we put this on our reading lists? Uh, because they are both great. That's it. I'm done. More <laughs> <laughs> details. So these came out recently, and I find I like to talk about things that are maybe older, but I also want to find things that have just come out so people can grab onto them right away and not be lost behind, which I find happens to me. I'll hear about a series I like, after it's been out for a year or later. So the first one I want to talk about is Batman Catwoman, written by Tom King with artwork by Clay Mann. So Tom King is really well known for doing his sort of like psychological versions of characters. So his Mr. Miracle is very much this sort of introspective, I'm trying to be a hero and be a human. Same thing with his vision kind of character. When Tom King first did Batman, it was very popular, but also very polarizing. Some people, from what I understand, really loved it, and some people really didn't, um, which led to, from what, again, from what I understand, the ending of his series earlier than it should have been. Um, he was supposed to do a longer run, and it sort of got unceremoniously canceled before he got to the end. So now we have Batman Catwoman, which at first you might think might be a continuation of what he had going on before. Issue one, is a combination of them as a couple, but in Tom King's style, he jumps around a lot right away. So we have these time jumps between the present and the past and the future. By page two, and a little bit of a spoiler, but I have to say it because it's part of the story, Batman is visited by an old friend who needs his help. The old friend happens to be Andrea Beaumont. Andrea Beaumont becomes the phantasm in the mask of the phantasm, which is still, in my opinion the best batman movie ever made the animated one so he brings back like right away tom king uh, touches into the animated universe which i'm not sure has been done in the comic before maybe it has 
Um, if it has, come at me and tell me that I'm wrong. But from what I, I, I don't think the Phantasm has ever come as a character in the regular mainstream comic. So right away, he brings back this character that hasn't really been seen before. I love seeing Batman and Catwoman working as a team in parts of the book, but we also jump into the future and we get hints of what's happened in the past, but we don't have all the in-between. If you like Tom King's style, if you like the way he writes, uh, I thought issue one was great. I haven't really actually bought a Batman series in many years, even though when I reorganized my comics, I discovered I went through a huge chunk of my time. I have a lot of Batman comics, but this one is actually one that will get me back into reading Batman. So if you've been unsure about Batman and you like a well-written story with great art, check out Batman and Catwoman, uh, Tom King and Clay Mann. The other one I want to talk about is Unsacred, written by uh, Mirka Andolfo. Uh, she did the first uh, Unsacred. She did all the writing and all the artwork. This one, she does the writing and the layouts um, with uh, artwork being done by Pedro Perez, I believe. I had this up and now I don't remember. So it's, but it's on her design. So the artwork looks as though she has done it all, but it's actually written, sorry, drawn by other people. So Unsacred follows our two main characters from the first volume, uh, Angelina and uh, Damiano. And they have a new addition to their family, Eden. So they're uh, an angel and a devil that now have a child and they are now a married couple and they're going through their married couple problems and situations as they would if you were an angel and a devil that were married. The first volume one was written almost like every page was a different comic story, like a little story. This one is more of an overarching story that goes from beginning to end. Um, it's interesting how the angel character is very good at manipulating the devil character and almost seems more plotting in things. The artwork is great. It's very sort of pit-up-y, but it's also very funny. It's a little sexy without being smutty. Uh, it's just a really good book. So if you like the first Unsacred, pick it up. If you've never read it before, it's a really good introduction. So I would go check it out. And I love her artwork. It's just really good. So those are two good finds that are, are number one, like right now, by the time you listen to this, hopefully they'll still be on the shelf if they're not sold out, even though I think Batman and Catwoman might already be sold out. But you never know. <laughs> Some more might show up. Okay, thank you. All right, well, uh, Dave and I are gonna take the last little chunk of the show here to talk about a song written in 1972 by Adriano Salantano. And he was like a huge deal in Italy. He was a pop star, he was a movie star, he was a dancer, he did it all. He was the man, he's still alive. He was born in 1938. Um, and probably the best known song that he did was one called Prison Colon Incinentusol. And it's really cool. Now, it sounded like when Jody said the title of that song that she's speaking another language, possibly Italian. But that's not a, in any language. No, it's it's, it's, it's gibberish. It's yeah. intentionally gibberish. He intentionally wanted to create a song that sounded American, but wasn't. He really liked American slang and was very influenced by American music. And he thought, you know, I'm going to write this song that it's about the inability to communicate. And to do this, he had to write a song where the lyrics don't actually mean anything. So they don't. They, they sound like they are almost something, but they aren't. Yeah, it sounds like you're listening to a song in a language you don't understand, and you want to understand it because the song is really good and really cool. And even though it's, all, it's almost 50 years old, like, this is a banging 
pop song with a really good dance beat and a whole horn section going on and everything. Like actually the vocals are almost secondary to how awesome this is. You could sing anything to this song, which I guess, you know, it, the song itself is proof of. Yes, um, he sort of affects a Bob Dylan-esque style and that was intentional as well. It's interesting because this song has a life of its own. Like when it came out in 72, it was a big hit around the world. Uh, it was on like some comedy shows. There's some, a couple of really good videos on YouTube the, uh, and people have remixed this. So it's a little more banging, it's a little more jamming. It's probably easiest to find by going by the artist's name, Adriano Celentano. Right. Um, because trying to put prison uh, call an incident crucial into the YouTube search field is going to be tricky. Yeah, but I think it would, if, even if you stumbled through it, you, you could still find it because it's, it's there. It's really, really cool. And uh, it's been on a lot of different things. Um, researching it for, to talk about it tonight, uh, it's been on the soundtrack of the Fargo TV show. It's also been on the soundtrack of the Lone Star TV show. And in fact, the bumpers that Rush Limbaugh sometimes uses on his show are sampled from this song. Crazy. Who knew? So came out on the album Nostal Rock in 1972. I highly recommend that you check it out. Um, I love it when bands play with languages that, this way. Like Sigur Ross is another band that has kind of created their own language. And, I, and that's just, I don't know, really cerebral and great to me. Yeah, it's, it's cool when people who can write great lyrics decide to write something that doesn't necessarily have lyrical meaning. It's just written for the purpose of, of sounding the way they want it to sound. Like it reminds me of like the first four lines of Lewis Carroll's Jabberwocky, like famous example of just writing something for the rhythm and sound of it and to create an attitude, but to do it mostly with words that are not known in any language. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. All right, well, we are going to leave you with as much of this as we possibly can because it is great. And uh, then you will just have to wait another week until Punch Radio is back on the air. So until next Friday, keep your dukes up. Freezing cold in answer nine shoes off. You the cold maze say one freezing cold in answer nine shoes off. All right.